Welcome to our podcast. We hope that this content is a blessing for your life. Enjoy the message. Father, change our frequency and open our spirits to your word. Your word is transforming, it's alive. So come, Holy Spirit, lead us into the newness of your teaching. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Meche, pass me that, the, uh, the other app for a second. Yeah, thanks. All right. Hey, I got to tell you guys a secret. This morning, I, uh, my wife's uh, concerned voice woke me up at um, almost 7 a.m., Telling me that I had overslept. Um, yeah, so, you know, it, uh, it was a scary moment because I hadn't, it's been a really busy week with a lot of stuff happening and uh, many different meetings that required a lot of preparation and so on. And then I, last, last night I, I just kind of crashed and said, you know, I'm going to go to bed and just uh, sleep. I need, I need some renewal. And so I guess uh, subconsciously I forgot to put any alarm. I usually, you know, this is more information than you need really, but I get up early in the morning to do uh, my sermon. I've had an idea where I want to go, but, you know, I just went ahead and, and, and did it. And uh, this morning, you know, I, I woke up uh, late. So, um, you know, we are all part of that journey of uh, being more competent, by the way. But uh, I... Ask the Lord. You know, I, I've learned over the, the, the course of uh, my lifetime, especially when I have weekends like this, or, you know, big events that require um, a lot of preparation. Uh, just uh, I, I ask the Lord, Father, help me not to get anxious. Help me not to get anxious about the next thing, jumping from one thing to the other. One of the things I had to do was to speak to a, uh, with a, another pastor here from Boston to a group of uh, doctors and and personnel from Brigham and Women's Hospital, and you always get kind of intimidated a bit by having that kind of audience. And, um, you know, going from that to something else or something else, I can really, and this is the struggles that we live in, you know, and, and again, I, I've, this idea that we discussed last Sunday about being competent in Christ, I always have to tell myself that because I, I become anxious many times about all of these challenges that are faced, and you become, you feel you're inadequate and you know, you don't have all that it takes. That's the truth. That's the way I am. And I guess I share this with you because, the, you know, this element of resiliency in our lives, it's not something that comes necessarily naturally to us. You know, we, we don't always feel competent. We don't always feel strong. But I've learned that I cannot say no out of a sense of incompetence or inadequacy. I've made a vow to the Lord that I will never say no to any invitation to be productive for the kingdom just because I feel threatened or because I'm too busy and don't have the time to do it. And so, um, you know, I, I, it was one thing after the other uh, this way. And so this morning, lo and behold, I think the Lord wanted to give me a little lesson again in just resting in Him and uh, letting Him guide me. And that's sometimes what we have to do, you know. We have to place ourselves on autopilot, and ignore our emotions, ignore the anxiety, ignore the pressure that you feel, and just enter into the journey and let the Lord carry you. Put your feelings aside. I think part of the maturity of a child of God is learning how to walk 
in the midst of anxiety, of uh, negative feelings, of a sense of incompetence, and, you know, knowing that it's there, hearing that voice as a background in your being, but then entering into what the Word of God says, what the promises of God say, um, promises of victory, of competency, of, uh, you know, overcoming, and you follow that program. The other program doesn't stop running. But you follow the program of what the Word of God promises you, and that He says you won't make a fool of yourself. And I can tell you that over all these years of my life, I have never sheathed my sword, so to speak, um, after a challenge of any sort, feeling um, unworthy or vanquished or incompetent. The Lord has always found me um, in, uh, in, in my struggles. And he has uh, indeed, you know, given, him, given me his uh, support. And uh, he has always carried me victoriously from whatever challenge I've embraced in his name, not feeling uh, somehow that I cannot do it and knowing that in him I can do it. So that's a, it's a little lesson on, you know, uh, resiliency. Because those of us who struggle with, you know, low-level anxiety or even more, um, uh, or feelings of inadequateness, you know, it's very easy to let those feelings rule you and rule all the decisions that you make and um, uh, the things that you decide to undertake or not. And, you know, I think as long as we are in this neurological system that we inhabit, we will always struggle with all of these negative feelings and others that you, I may not even experience myself, but you may. Um, and we have to choose whether we're going to let that system that program rule our actions and decisions and what we decide to undertake, or we're going to link ourselves to the program of the Word of God. And we're going to decide to follow that objectively um, and just go one step at a time. Even as, we're, even as our consciousness is, is screaming to us, you're going to fail, you're going to fall, you're going to regret it. You just have to say, no, this is what the Word of God promises me. And as you do that, you know, the resistance sort of the gravity pull of your fallenness and your brokenness will decrease. Because it's like faith is like a muscle that the more you exercise it, the more supple, the more pliable, the more elastic it becomes, and the easier, the more fluid your actions become by force of simply doing it over and over and over again. The image comes to my mind as well of, uh, you know, a sprained muscle uh, or, uh, you know, something like that where, you know, it, it, you can choose to just live in the light of that pain, of that muscle, um, and then it becomes something structural sometimes. If you limit your actions and, and your movements because of that pain and you don't seek some sort of uh, healing, uh, you're going to be like that, and then you, what happens? The other muscles will become smaller and weaker, and all of a sudden, you will adapt and, and uh, do more just with, one, with another side of your, of your arm or, or, or shoulder or whatever. And that part will become less and less and less. And that happens many times. Unless you decide to embrace the pain, initial pain, of just going through the motions, finding ways of healing that, exercising that in appropriate ways. And then slowly, you see that that sprained muscle will find its place. I know it's more, more complex than that, but you know the, the underlying principle is that as you perform things um, 
despite yourself, despite what you're feeling, despite your fear, despite the impact that brokenness in the past and abuse and failure in the past have induced in you, the more you simply decide to act on the program of God, somehow, you know, that, that limitation starts fading, becoming less onerous, less uh, dominant, and you enter into that place of competency, of ability, and slowly you become more and more adept at living a victorious, powerful life. But it takes that effort, you know, and, and it takes, it, it is a struggle, you know. I, I think in the charismatic Pentecostal world, uh, and I think it's, it's true in every aspect of Christianity, we have this uh, bad habit of telling people certain things that it, it, they seem so easy. It's like this round thing. Oh, all you got to do is go to the website and, you know, do this. And you say, well, yeah, but hey, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. What language are you speaking? And so sometimes we have to break things down into its true complexity in order to understand how to enter into that place of competency, that place of resilience, that place of I can do this in, in the Lord. So um, I, I want to speak about, this is all a long preamble, but it is part of the teaching already about how to enter into, uh, what are the steps, what, is the, uh, what, what are the details of entering into that resilient attitude. And um, so I, I'm going to go through some of these things. I don't know whether I'll get, I make it, I'll do it all in this one, but I'll continue at least one more uh, session on that. So uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and by the way, this is available. I, I wrote some notes down in the uh, website as I took my own notes, and I sent it to the website. You can find it there in your uh, iPhone or Android or iPad, whatever. I think you'll find it there for, for, uh, you know, where you have notes on sermons, and you could follow it that way as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses uh, 16 through 18. It's a powerful word about resiliency and, and the, uh, the process involved in it. It says, but, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The Apostle Paul is referring to Moses when he was in the mountain and his glory, the, the, God, the glory of God came upon his face because he was gazing at the very presence of God. And so he, he was, uh, uh, con there was contagion. He, he was um, impacted physically. And so his face reflected that glory of God and people were scared. They didn't want to see it. They were just threatened by it, and so he had to put a veil on his face. But whenever you turn to the Lord, now that veil is taken away. It's taken away. Now, in a sense, you are experiencing the full presence of God in your life. You're experiencing all the, the blessings, and, and, and you're no longer seeing God through a veil. You're seeing him, in a sense, and experiencing him directly in your spirit through Jesus Christ. And I think that alone, I mean, is, is an amazing uh, word right there, that that's what you are living in. In your spirit, you have access to the glory of God, and that glory is manifesting itself directly into your life, into your being. The problem is that many times we don't know that that is, that is the case, or we don't accept that that is the case, but that is the objective reality in which you live. That holy of holies that the Jews could not even enter into, only the high priest once at peril of his life, is now open to us, and we are within it. And, you know, just realizing that and uh, enabling us to become, uh, you know, uh, imbued with that consciousness. And that is where the challenge lies, and I'm going to talk about that. How do we get there? 
But that is the reality. We are experiencing the, the glory of God, all the gifts of the Spirit, the, the blessings of this gospel that Jesus made real and possible and open. We have access to it. It's not like in the Old Testament where, you know, the, the Jews were afraid because they were going to die. No, we are, we are not living in this gracious new dispensation, this new administration where we can do that. We can come before the presence of God. We are, in fact, in the very presence of God, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And we got to dwell on that. We got to meditate on that. We got to make it uh, part of our constitution. And getting there is much of the challenge of the Christian walk. But Paul says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, if you are in Christ, the veil is taken away. You don't live like other people do. Having a distant or non-existent relationship with the grace, the glory, the power, the endowment of God. You have it, and you have access to it. So then it says, now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Again, it's that same idea, no? Uh, he's, he's just getting into the details of this thing. The Spirit of the Lord is in you. The Spirit of the, of the Lord is around you. And you are free. You know, if we could only understand that, that objectively speaking, judicially speaking, legally speaking, we are free. We are free from our past. We are free from the wounds. We are free from the ugliness. We are free from the impurities. We are free from the, the uh, spiritual consequences of what we have done that is not right with the Lord. And we are free also then to enter into a new life and into new ventures, new undertakings, ambitious uh, desires and plans and visions for the future. There is that freedom, freedom, freedom. And, this, and, this is, and we all, and this is really what I want to uh, uh, emphasize, and we all who with unveiled faces, now you don't need the veil, you don't have the veil, Contemplate the Lord's glory like Moses, we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, as you continue being in communion with God through Christ, as you have uh, communication, community, intimacy, contact with uh, all that emerges from the kingdom of God, the, the beauty, the perfection, uh, the attributes, the virtues, uh, the capacities of the kingdom, they become a part of you. Just like God's glory inhabited Moses' face. This is the thing. You know, that, that uh, really much of the transactioning of, of the kingdom of God, it happens directly, intravenously, intravenously, if you will. And it's there, but man, for, for that to go from there to here, there lies the rub. That's where the difficulty comes. And much of the Christian journey is about that, about taking what is uh, here and, taking, and then transporting it here. It's like you take, a, you take a pill, an energy pill, you take it through your mouth physically, and then the chemicals in it have to somehow find their way to the brain. 
if it's a pill that, you know, deals with something about anxiety or whatever it is. And that journey we, we know very little about, right? How many of us know what exactly happens when you take a pill in your mouth and it goes through your system, digestive system, whatever, and then it slowly finds its way into your neurological system, producing whatever effect it is? It, it takes a, it, it's a long process. It's a very complex process, and it is like that. You take the Word of God, it comes into you. You experience the glory of God, it comes into you. And then translating that into your consciousness, into your operating system, it takes a long time, and it's a challenge. And we need to find familiarity with that process. But it is also, what I like about this uh, verse, it's also this idea that transformation is a gradual thing. He says here, we are being transformed and, and in, in a lot of the promises of the, of the New Testament, you see uh, this idea of uh, something that is still going on. We are being cleansed, for example. We are being transformed. We are being perfected. It, it is an ongoing process. We are being saved in a sense of that we are saved fully. But we are also in the process of, you know, being transformed. So we are being transformed into his image. So this idea of transformation where you are and going to where you need to be is, a, is a, an ongoing, gradual process. And you must learn to enjoy the ride. You must learn to not rebel against the, the progressive nature of that ride, that it takes a long time, that it's complex, that it's challenging. You have to find joy like an athlete in the struggle, in the sweat and, and the, the testing of yourself. There is joy in that. There is dignity in that. There is greatness in that. So learn not to resent it. Learn to enjoy the fact that you are living life now like a hero or a heroine, a warrior of the Spirit. You are on the way to that perfection. It's a jihad as a, you know, in, in the Muslim world. You know, they speak of jihad. We know of the negative elements of that, of like killing. And, but no, but, you know, what Muslims say is a jihad is a, you know, is a, is a journey. It is anything that you kind of endow with the, uh, determination and um, uh, decision. And you undertake something, and it's, that's your jihad. That's your journey. That's your crusade. That's your uh, struggle. And we embrace, we embrace um, that journey. I think a lot of people don't, uh, they stay stagnant where they were before, or they do not lead a purpose-driven lives because all that they have learned in their past is to live life one day at a time, improvising. They, they have no, uh, no sense of purpose, no sense of vision. Most of us, uh, you know, we simply breathe, eat, sleep, and, and uh, do the, the normal processes of life. We come to church and so on, but we don't have an overarching sense of, hey, where do I want to be? What do I want to do? You know, what, what do I want my life to look like? What do I want, what do I want my marriage to look like? Uh, what do I want to be like as a human being? What do I want people to see me as in this real sense of the word? Uh, you know, we don't ask ourselves. We, don't, we, don't, we waste this amazing resource, which is the Holy Spirit, the power of the kingdom of God, we have the, the motor of, of, I don't know, a tank would be understating it inside of us. And we're like that little old lady that drives this powerful car five miles an hour to church and then parks it again there. And that car is asking, hey, come on, test me. 
use me. He, he, you know, he's being, this is the way the, the, the kingdom of God is. I mean, we have inside of us this extraordinary power, but we don't assign tasks to the Holy Spirit. Because we've learned that, you know, it's not possible. Uh, uh, you know, inertia takes over in our lives. It's like this uh, round thing, you know. It's a scary thing because, you know, one can fail in it. I know for me it is a, but I, I, I said, no, I have to, we have to do this. And we have to become competent at it because we have the power, the gifting, the endowment, the reasoning, the coherence of God in us. Why, why can't we? And if it's for good, it's going to advance the kingdom. So, you know, but you have to set goals for yourself. You have to have, set a vision for you, who you want to become. You have to write it down. You have to declare it. You have to lay down your weapon and say, I'm gonna, this is the challenge. Uh, and then you have to undertake it one day at a time. Because this is what the scriptures are full of this call to be transformed into his image with ever incre increasing glory. And that, that power comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this idea that, uh, you know, the Christian life is a life of perpetual transformation and renewal. And if you're not living that life of uh, repeated victories, small ones, large ones, um, whatever, if you're not living that life of overcoming things, of becoming better, of checking off things that you are now in mastery of, you're wasting this amazing power that you have inside of you, this amazing call to live that perpetually transforming life. So embrace the call and, and, and adopt that image of yourself as a warrior, uh, a person in a journey who has mastery of themselves and who glorify God by our increasing greatness. We become worshipers in effect because by the very excellence of the life that we are living, we are giving glory to the one who made us. And a masterpiece ultimately results in glory to the maker of the masterpiece. And so as you, live, you decide to live a glorious life, a competent life, an overcoming life, that is, that is your ultimate worship. It reminds me of what Romans 12 says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. It's, as, you, as you experience the transforming power of God, as you offer more pieces of your imperfection to Him, and He replaces it with good things, you, this, is, this is your true and proper worship to the Lord. It's not necessary only when you come to church and you sing hymns or choruses or you pray or you come together. This is part of the worship. But for me, I have found that the most powerful way of worshiping God is by becoming more like Jesus, by, uh, by tearing down the strongholds in my life. And I tell you, this is an ongoing journey. But this is our true and proper worship. It is a mute worship. Nobody hears it, but God does. And the devil also experiences that transforming life. And then in verse 2 it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Hey, no need to. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There you have this idea again. Transformation and renewal. Transformation speaks to me of something that happens. Boom. It is there. Renewal speaks to me about gradual, a gradual process. So we are being, uh, the ultimate goal is to be transformed, but the process involved is daily renewal in little increments, one neuron at a time, one synapse at a time, one connection at a time. 
one bad thing is taken out, replaced by a new one. The next one taken out, replaced by a new one in the light of the kingdom of God. That is the process until you die. And then you are free. Now you are truly transformed. It happens forever and ever in every possible way. But while we're in, in here in this world, the, God expects us to be renewing ourselves every day, every day, every day, on the way toward transformation. And this is the calling of the gospel. It's not just coming to church. What an impoverishment of the Christian experience. To summarize it, uh, you know, in, in just coming to church, plopping down a couple of bills on the offering basket, singing a couple of tepid, lukewarm choruses, and, and then going home and living life exactly as we did before we came into the service. It's not about that. It's, it's about living continually in transformation. So again, this idea, transformation, going from your brokenness of your past and not letting that be the dominant narrative in your brain to adopting an, an attitude of overcoming and ambitiousness in the kingdom, it's gradual and it's also instantaneous. When you accept Christ, for example, you are saved, you are a new creature, but then you are also on the way to becoming a new creature, right? How many know that when you accept Christ and now you are saved and you are son of God, you still have to fight with all of the bad habits that you had before you became a new creature? You know, it's both instantaneous and it's also gradual. You are saved and endowed with a new identity, but now that new identity, which is legal, and, and uh, judicial has to become an identity in effect. It has to translate itself into your feelings, your attitudes, your relationships, your way of speaking, your way of thinking, your way of deciding, what you give value to, and so on and so forth. That is a long-term process. You'll have to fight with your sexual urges. You'll have to fight with your depression. You'll have to fight with your resentfulness. You have to fight with um, the feeling of uh, abuse and, and of incompetency and of being impure and of being guilty. All of those little pieces, components of your identity, now the Holy Spirit will go slowly and with your cooperation, changing each one of them. And that is a long, a lifelong journey. And there is beauty in it as well. So being transformed and replacing old outlooks and habits is a very difficult thing. Now, you know, why am I saying all of this again? It's because I, I want to go from this idea, oh, we are more than conquerors in Christ. I can do all things in Christ. Yeah, Pastor, but how do I get there? All you have to do is abandon, uh, you know, the old ways of being. And Yeah, okay, Pastor, but how do I do that? I've been trying to do that. I've declared, I've rebuked, I've rejected, and I'm still you know, navigating the same junk. And that's why, you know, it's breaking it down, zooming into the process itself that really uh, I, I would find helpful. Because I can't just tell a paralyzed person, hey, now get up and walk, unless there's the power of God and also, you know, unless the neurons and the muscles and, and, and the bones of that paralyzed person actually react to that. And so often we tell people all of this stuff and, and you know, they're, they're living the same kind of life as always and struggling with the same things. And we must help. We must go deeper into the process. That's what I would hope to do, okay? 
So a much, much Christian teaching calls us to be transformed, but doesn't tell us enough on how to do it and, and what is specifically involved in that process. So how do we change our way of thinking? How do we go from that place of fallenness and defeatism to that place of undertaking and believing and being ambitious? Uh, one, of the fir- one of the first things I think we need to do, we, we have to acknowledge our pain and brokenness. We do not ignore the negative nature of our experiences. I'm not asking you to repress uh, the nature of your past, your mistakes, your sins that you have committed, where you are now, the consequences of what you did, what you have actually done. On the contrary, I think it begins, you know, the Christianity is not about denying, suppressing uh, who you are and what you're struggling with and where you are. It is about adopting it, accepting it, embracing it, but then to go from there to the next place. This is why I think the church can never tell people, well, you know, you're in the kingdom now. Yeah, continue living your life with the same addictions, the same brokenness, uh, the same habits. That is a, a total injustice to the kingdom. You have to tell people, God accepts you. He loves you. He embraces you. He welcomes you. But now he wants to take you where he needs you to be and where he has made you to be. We cannot tell people simply, oh, you know, God accepts you as you are. Yes, he does, but only as a first step to the greatness that he's called you to, the holiness, the uh, self-mastery, the transformation. And, And so the first thing is about knowing who we are, accepting who we are, admitting who we are, asking for forgiveness for who we are, accepting the program of God, accepting his dictates and what he says that I am, instead of trying to cosmeticize it. And turn it into something that, you know, then I can continue being who I am. No. It's about going to where God calls you. So we must acknowledge. Um, having a positive outlook is not about putting our head in the sand or repressing our feelings. I would say that resilient people are realistic. They're lucid. They, know that they acknowledge the world as it is. They acknowledge themselves as they are. They acknowledge the difficulty and the brokenness of the world that we live in. They see the world exactly as it is. I find that the people who, who are capable of doing things are the people who, who see this world, as I said in, in, in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, you know, it, it's a great diagnosis of the world. And people think, oh man, this is, this is a negative and pessimistic. No, this is what the world is. I think Christianity is predicated on an understanding that that world out there is broken, fallen, sinful, ugly, oppressive, abusive, deforming. It is all of those things. And you bear the consequences of it. You move within that. And the first thing you need to do is to acknowledge that and accept it. And then from there, know that there's a journey and an agenda that God is taking you to the next level. People who are realistic and resilient, they know the world is a fallen, sinful place. Oppression is a reality. Abuse is a reality. So this acceptance of the negative is the beginning of emotional health and a positive outlook. It's not... Uh, accepting defeat, but you must acknowledge where you are at. What are, what are the things, that, what are your demons? What are the giants that you're facing? What has life done to you? And, and as a result, how are you deformed? Start there, because the good thing is that you know that that's not where you're going to stay. It's, it, it should be a liberating thing, because you know that that's not, it's simply a point of departure. So that's accept the reality of who you are and what you are and where you are. Secondly, 
I think in order to enter into that journey of uh, self-transformation, you, ne you need to become penetrated and saturated with this consciousness that, that there is another superior principle that rules the world. Christ has come to mend this broken world, to break the power of evil. There's a passage in, in, in Scripture that says that He came to destroy the works of the devil. He, he is a destroyer. Jesus is a destroyer of all sinful, destructive structures. He, he is relentless and implacable in his commitment to tear down anything that is not conducive to human goodness and, and, and thriving. That's his agenda. And that's why he came to the world, to undo the works of the devil. He has come to heal us both spiritually, emotionally, and physically. He has come to give us power over evil and sin. So on the, on the one hand, we know where we are. We acknowledge this world. On the other hand, we know that when Christ came into the world, when he penetrated into the world, when he beamed down into the womb of Mary and emerged man and God fused in one, he came with only one agenda, which is to destroy to set the foundation and to judicially defeat evil and this world that deforms and oppresses and to establish the possibility of a new world and of new liberated human beings. This is the agenda of the kingdom and you have entered into it. So on the one hand, you have that negative recognition. On the other hand, that positive transforming acceptance that there's another principle. There's another uh, cowboy in town And this one is a billion, million times more powerful than the other one. And he, he is with you. And he has embraced you. And you have embraced him. So these two conflicting, this is the, this is the program of Jesus. Luke 4, verse eight, verses 18 through 21. At the, beginning, at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus stood in, in a synagogue. The, roll, the, the, the scroll was given to him. And he opened it up to Isaiah. And he read The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He was reading from Isaiah, but he was speaking about himself. At the very beginning of his journey, he's saying, this is who I am. This is why I have come, and this is my agenda. And then it says that in verse 20 that he rolled up the scroll, gave it back. I would have wanted to be there that moment. He gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down to preach. That's what he did. And, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were upon him. What, what, what is he saying? Why, what is he going to say about this? And he began saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Boom. I mean, that, that was a... a I really believe that in that moment, spiritually speaking, the universe trembled because he was setting a governing principle about who he was and what he was going to be doing from then on. So, you know, one of the other reasons why, you know, it is difficult to um, get, it, get into this uh, whole thing is because it is so encompassing, so... so uh, overarching you know so Jesus doesn't only come to save you spiritually he comes to heal you emotionally mentally physically salvation is an all-encompassing word 
Jesus' program is to save you from all. Don't, don't just, uh, don't just accept the, the spiritual side of Jesus' uh, uh, redemptive agenda. He, he wants to do uh, a full work. And this is why, you know, the word salvation, which is what Jesus comes to do, is so inclusive. The word sozo, it's been said many times, includes both salvation and healing. So often Jesus said to the people that he healed physically, your, your faith has healed you or your faith has saved you. He used the same word. Why? Because um, he, was, he was doing both. I mean, he was into the program of doing both. You know, that word sotho means has made you whole, has healed you, has saved you, has preserved you, has made you well. That program that Jesus announces when he reads that scroll is saying, I am here to, you know, bring social justice, social salvation, physical healing, deliverance from demonic oppressions, freedom from grieving and, you know, defilement. I, I, I am here to destroy all the works of the devil of sin and fallenness, everything. I have enmity toward all of those negative things. And in the life of the believer, this has to become a dominant ruling principle. We live under this banner. Christ has come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. This is that other principle. On one hand, you have that brokenness principle. On the other hand, you have that redemption principle. And, and that one is overruling, it's overarching. And you have, you have been asked to live within us. So you, you, you make those two admissions that are foundational. And you live according to the second one. Second Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is what? A new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. Wow. I mean, just meditate on that uh, this week. And again, uh, revel in its complexity. Because it's saying, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You may not know it. You may not feel it. You may not be consciously aware of it. Whether you admit it or not, you are. You are Adam. You are Eve. Right from the, the, the production line. That's who you are. But again, you know, and it says the old has gone, the new is here. But you also know that now you must walk that out. That must unfold within you. And that is the journey. You see, God says, hey, you are a new creation. You have a, a title of uh, possession. All is yours. I've given you all the land that you've feet step on like he told, he told Joshua all the challenges I've given the land to you now Joshua knew that he had to go into that land and fight giants and enemies and that was a long progressive process but the Lord says I've given you the land he had the title for the land he, he had the title of ownership you have the title of ownership of your being of all your addictions and all your um, weaknesses and, and all the strongholds in your life 
you have it. It is yours. You are a new creation. That is how God sees you. Totally new. Uh, An innocent, virginal child. It doesn't matter what is inscribed in your flesh. Or the, the, the scars of the past. You have to now make that a reality in your life. Every time you think about yourself and every time you do things, now you're going to walk into that land. God could have given the land to the Israelites by killing everything that was contrary to his plans. He could have killed every person in in those tribes in Canaan. He didn't do that. He said, no, now you have to fight for the land because God is not into making us parasites. If If we did not struggle and fight the good fight, we would be limp, useless beings. But God says, no, I've given you the land. I have promised you. Your enemies will not be able to stand against you. But in the process, you're going to be wounded every once in a while. You're going to experience some defeats. You're going to become painfully aware of how deficient you are without me. But in that process, you're going to glorify me. And this is why I have not made it easy by reprogramming you like a robot. I respect you too much to do that. I'm going to be be with you every day of your life. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to make sure that you are not ultimately defeated. But it's going to be an ongoing process. And that's why the process of self-transformation is a long-term thing. And we should not run away from it. We should revel in it. And uh, we should embrace it. I wouldn't have it any other way, my dear friends. Uh, Because I see the the beauty, the dignity that comes in living out my salvation every day. And bringing glory to God. And this is what God invites us uh, this morning to do. I will continue sharing with you on, on this subject. But today, God invites you and I to understand I am broken, I am sinful, I am in the throes of the struggle, but I know there's a principle. There is another program. God is calling me to wholeness, to healing, and every day of my life I'm going to live that out in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be increasingly transformed. I'm not going to let the wounds of the past discourage me or disqualify me. I'm not going to hear the voice of the serpent saying, yeah, you know, God has said that, but, uh, you know, there's something else there that you... No. I'm going to live by every word that the Lord God has declared in my life. And I will live by the word. And we're going to talk about all of that later on, about the importance of reprogramming our brains with good teaching, good word, good principles, and saturating ourselves with the word of God and what God has declared. That is part of the journey as well. So let's bow our heads or lift our hands or whatever you want to do. But just embrace the the, the call of the Lord this morning. Just feel that goodness of God on your behalf. Feel this joy of of, uh, the Father uh, for you. And His delight in in, uh, your embracing the journey. Even when you fall, He will be delighted. Because he knows that that takes place within the framework of his goodness and of his, that that is part of the journey. Because God delights in seeing you live like a child of him in his kingdom. And, and so embrace that, embrace that 
goodness that, that really rules your life right now. Your identity, your true identity. You have a title of kingdom and nobility in your hand and in your heart. That's who you are. And Father, we thank you. Help me, who is uttering these words, to believe that and embrace it and live it. And help each of us to embrace the journey. And we so thank you because you've made it such a sublime thing. And lead us from here with extreme confidence in the reality of your promises. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more resources like this in our website, leondejuda.org, and in our social networks by searching for Congregación León de Judah. We look forward to being with you again. God bless you.